We're reading this morning from Philippians chapter 3, verse 15, to chapter 4, verse 3. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in my in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Um, please do, perhaps while I just sort things out here, if you need some water, go and grab some and please feel free to move about um, during the sermon. Um, I, I might even do a bit of moving around myself this morning because um, I've got this headset mic on and I've never, never preached with this before so I can perhaps move around the state. I, I won't be too, doing too much jumping around, I promise. Gertrude could not stand Hetty. Hetty was so full of herself. She was such a busybody. She was involved in so many church activities and community outreach projects. If the press were ever at any event, Hetty would be there in the photo. If Gertrude found herself on a roster with Hetty, she would soon find some reason that she couldn't be involved. George's heart sank when he realised he'd been placed in Arthur's home group. He couldn't be in a home group with someone who didn't hold the same strict seven-day young earth creation view as him. Oh, Arthur might be a gifted, gifted at leading group dis- discussion and very prayerful and a very gracious host, but George knew this serious doctrinal flaw of Arthur's was just not acceptable and would ruin his time at home group. Pastor Frank fumed. After all the time and effort he'd put into Graham and Joy, now their email explained that they were pulling out of kids' church. After all his valuable training, prayer and mentoring, they had apparently decided to spend more time volunteering at the orphanage instead. Of course, they were still planning to attend church, the email said. Well, thought Pastor Frank, They won't be invited round for lunch with me anymore. Now, 
church can sometimes be a difficult thing, can't it? After all, it's full of people. Full of people with all their bad habits, annoying traits, mistakes, sins, different ideas and different ways of doing things. Maybe there were some people here this morning who didn't like the idea that Cameron had us sitting down while we had our declaration of belief and waving your hands around in church. Terrible Pentecostal stuff. (laughs) But that's, that's church, isn't it? That's me, it's Cameron and Kez, it's you, it's all of us. And if we're honest, it can sometimes be a challenge to worship together, pray together, work together and fellowship together. And it can be a challenge, as Paul tells the Philippians, to stand firm together. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, it's worth remembering, perhaps at this point, we're well into our series looking at the book of Philippians. Now, this is a letter. It's a letter to a church like us in many ways. It's not just a formal document for examination by pastors and academics and home group leaders, though it's good that they do that. But this is a personal letter. And as we work through the book of Philippians, you see it more and more. In many ways, perhaps Philippians is perhaps one of the most personal of Paul's letters. Um, Perhaps to Timothy, which scholars think is perhaps Paul's um, last letter, Um, could also be a contender. But we've read about Paul describing the Philippians as his dear friends, his joy and crown. And we read of his joy and longing for the Philippians. And as we get to this point in the letter where it talks about practical things, we see it more and more. Here in chapter 3, we've reached the point where Paul stops talking about I and talks about us and we. And there are three ways we're going to see it. Three points this morning. There's a contrast of examples. He talks about citizenship and conflict resolution. Now he begins by contrasting two examples of lifestyle. Look at verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Now clearly this is personal. The Philippians knew Paul. They didn't just know of him. They would have seen him, worshipped with him, eaten with him, perhaps worked with him. They knew him personally. This is perhaps like Trinity Hills here receiving a letter from Chris Edwards, who was the previous pastor before Cameron. It's like him writing to us to see how we're going, to tell him about, tell them about what he's been doing. Now, Paul here isn't claiming that he's perfect, that, that they can follow his example because he's got it all sorted. He put that idea Um, just in the the bit before we read today in chapter 3. But he's encouraging the Philippians really to follow his example in the way that they look to gain Christ, 
to be found in him, to press on, to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of them. As Jess prayed, to press on towards the goal, to put Christ central and consider everything else a lost. Follow Paul's example. But it's not just that they knew Paul, but also Paul knew them, didn't he? As well as his own example, he encourages them to follow the examples of others who lived with that same attitude. He doesn't name who they are, but he obviously knows there are people within the church who are giving that good example as well. Previously in the book of Philippians, he's mentioned people like Timothy, who was like a son to him and took a genuine interest in their welfare. Epaphroditus is also mentioned, who, who's the one who probably delivered this letter. He describes Epaphroditus' concern for the Philippians. So when he got ill, they were worried. So who would it be here at Trinity Hills? Who do you look to? It's great that we've got both congregations here together, because there may be people who you've not seen for a while. But whose examples do we follow? Who do we look to? But also, I'd like us to consider for a moment what examples we give to other people. I'm actually not going to go into to detail. I was considering different groups within the church and saying, well, who, how has your behaviour set an example to people who are perhaps a bit younger or, or immature in their faith? But our lives should be in the way we live, an outworking of who we are in Christ. There should be ways, um, there should be things about the way we pray, the ba- we behave around church and in our homes that set an example to others. Paul had already told the Philippians to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now that's the good example. The contrast of examples comes in verse 18, where Paul warns the Philippians to beware of those who seem to be flaunting their freedom in the gospel, abusing that freedom. Look at verse 18. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, Paul warns them. Now, previously in the book of Philippians, Paul has warned them against a group who generally now called Judaizers. These are Jewish converts who insisted that Christians, believers in Christ, should also obey the whole of the law to be saved. They were insisting on Christ plus the law for salvation. But this, people seem to think, and I think it's, it's correct, this is a different group of people. These bad examples are those whose destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. He doesn't, Paul doesn't specify exactly what sort of behaviour he's talking about. How they're indulging their sensibilities. But I'm sure you can imagine the sort of thing that they may be indulging in. And remember, these aren't non-believers. These are people inside the church. They seem to be taking advantage of the grace and the freedom to 
indulge their earthly passions. Remember, these are people Paul knows or perhaps he's heard of from a trusted source. But it's about people, isn't it? It's, it's personal. Are there aspects of our personal lives where we risk becoming enemies of the cross? Where we indulge earthly things which take advantage of or disregard or ignore the grace we have in Christ? You may have noticed the contrast Paul makes between their focus and their destiny and his focus mentioned just earlier in chapter 3. These people, the enemies of the cross, they focus on earthly things and their destiny is destruction. While Paul presses on and focuses on the heavenly goal that is in Christ Jesus. There's a real contrast there between an earthly focus that ends in destruction and focus on a heavenly goal, an eternal goal. That leads Paul on to his second point, I think, about citizenship. Their citizenship, which is beyond Greek, Roman or Jew, um, and their citizenship in heaven. Now, it has been said that in heaven... The police are British, the chefs are Italian, the mechanics are German, the lovers are French, and it's all organised by the Swiss. But in hell, the police are German, the chefs are British, the mechanics are French, the lovers are Swiss, and it's all organised by the Italians. (laughs) Now, of course, these are stereotypes. But what would be the stereotype of a citizen of heaven? What would the stereotype be? The fruits of the Spirit, which Paul outlines in Galatians 5.22, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the sort of thing that should come to mind. Where do you see that here at Trinity Hills? Where do you see those gifts? Those are the sorts of people whose example we should be following. But our citizenship should particularly be seen in our relationships to each other. Love one another, Jesus told his disciples. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And yet, the stereotype for Christians is unfortunately sometimes more along these lines. Once, I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump. I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What denomination? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptists or Southern Baptists? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, what a coincidence, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? Northern Conservative Baptist, he said, me too, I replied. Now, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. I said, me too. 
Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He said, Council of 1912. I said, die heretic, and pushed him off. Now, apparently that joke was in 2005 voted best religious joke ever, apparently. (laughs) But disunity is a serious problem. And we can see that as Paul addresses conflict resolution just at the beginning of chapter 4. And he feels, Paul feels, he has to comment on this dispute between Syntyche and Euodia. Now, once again, we don't necessarily know what are the details or the cause of this dispute. It doesn't appear to be such a serious split on doctrine or behaviour that's brought Paul's wrath against the Judaizers or the enemies of the cross. And yet, it's serious enough to Paul to mention them by name. The letter would have been read out as a public document amongst the congregation. And these, as Paul indicates, these are probably leaders of the church. They're involved in the leadership team. Can you imagine if I got out a letter from Paul Harrington, the senior pastor of the Trinity Network, saying, Ryan Batty and Ellis Saxon, you must sort out your argument, sort out your disputes. I, I don't think Ellis and Ryan do have a dispute. But think about Paul, has already told the Philippians in chapter 2, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort in his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, to make Paul's joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Paul tells them. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. This should be the relational outworking of the gospel. When he tells the Philippians, in your relationships with one, other, one, one another, have the same mindset of Christ, Jesus. And he wondered, did he have Euodia and Syntyche in his mind when he's writing that? For Paul, the relational implications of justification mean that perhaps minor issues of doctrine or personality should not get in the way of unity within the body of Christ. He even encourages others, the, the true companion, to help out these two women to sort out their differences. It's that important. Just earlier in chapter 3, Paul talks of how his history and heritage he considers as if they were rubbish compared to knowing Christ. You could say the same thing about these differences. They, are, they too are rubbish compared to knowing Christ, the fellowship we have with him and the fellowship we have with one another. Now, I'm not talking about serious doctrinal differences like the Judaizers trying to add something to the gospel, or the enemies of the cross of Christ whose behaviour is abusing the grace they have. 
those sort of situations do need to be addressed and dealt with. But we must not let the minor things get in the way of the major thing, the good news of our salvation through faith in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Spoke to Cameron about this earlier in the week and he's happy for me to say this. But here at Trinity Hills, we do have a wide range of people from different backgrounds and church experiences. If you have differing views on certain aspects of church life or doctrine, that's fine. That's acceptable. For example, baptism. We have families here in church who believe in infant baptism. That's great. We have families who would far rather let their children make up their own minds. That's great. Baptism is a good thing. Baptism is important. But how we do it is less important. We have both sprinklings and dunkings here at Trinity Hills. Another, another thing, members of our congregation hold different views of the end times. We have pre-millennials, post-millennials, amillennials and pan-millennials. And those who don't know what any of those phrases means, you're very lucky. It doesn't matter. Now, if there are other areas of uncertainty or disparity that you have with, say, Cameron or myself or the partial oversight team, discuss them with Cameron. I'm sure many of you know how Cameron loves to kind of just discuss those things. He'd be more than happy to meet up for a coffee and, or meet in the ministry centre here and, and just nut some of those things out. And if you agree to disagree, that's fine. The two non-negotiables here at Trinity Hills, however, would be Scripture being our final authority and faith in Christ's death and resurrection as the only basis for our right relationship with God. Now, perhaps some of you are thinking that surely things like the situation with Yodia and Syntyche don't happen at Trinity Hills. Well, let me tell you, they do. During my time of involvement on the staff team and since, um, I've seen things like this happen. People who have let either minor doctrinal differences or personal differences. They brought discord and disharmony into God's church. Sometimes in these situations, I was directly involved and sometimes I was at fault. Other times I've seen it from a distance or heard about it after the event. Fortunately, and I'm so thankful to God about this, I'm also aware of occasions when, as Paul encouraged Syntyche and Euodia, people, parties have been involved, have put aside their differences, have got together, talked about it, or got over it, remained in fellowship, and have grown through that. And praise God for when that has happened. But it's a difficult thing to do, isn't it, sometimes? We're talking about people, as I mentioned. There's three things that I think come out of this passage to help us. We can do it with help from our brothers and sisters in Christ. As I mentioned, Paul asked his faithful companion to help. Euodia and Syntyche appear to have been in leadership, but, they, but Paul doesn't expect them to sort it out by themselves. 
It's, it's part, we're part of a family here and we're here to help each other. Do we ask people to help us ask for advice? And for, for others of us watching, how do we react when we see discord and dispute? Do we take sides or stir the pot or do we encourage reconciliation? The second thing to help us is the whatever is. And I hope I'm not stealing too much here from next week's sermon. In the next chapter, in chapter 4, Paul writes, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now this, amongst other things, applies to how we view other people. When there are things that bug us about other people, if we think about those things that are excellent, praiseworthy, pure, admirable, focus, it helps us to focus on their good qualities, their gifts and redeeming features. It can help us see people in a new light. The final thing to help us is that with the Holy Spirit, God can change our hearts in how we deal with those with whom we have differences. In verse 21, Paul speaks of how the power that enables Christ to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. If we ask him, God will transform and change us and our behaviour. We can pray with confidence that God is at work in us and we can be encouraged that he who has begun a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, people can be difficult. Church can be difficult. But I believe that all of us, warts and all, even those we find difficult to get on with, or those with whom we hold different views to us. All of us in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, make a wonderful and glorious church. You are a wonderful and glorious church. This year, let us consider minor differences and personal disagreements as garbage compared to knowing the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us... let us not let the divisions and differences distract us all from pressing on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called us heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Amen.